Well, as we record this, 10-year Treasury yields haven't quite hit 5%, but 4.99%. So bonds are being sold off, equities are being sold off, the US dollar is going down. Where is all the money going? Under the mattress? Uh, Maybe we'll find out the answer to that. And why the uncertainty? Well, same two reasons. Israel and Powell. Uh, The ground offensive seems more likely now into Gaza and the Fed. Well, is there too much resilience in the job markets for rates to stay put? That is probably the case in Australia with unemployment unexpectedly falling yesterday. And retail sales for Canada and the UK today. More resilience or are interest rates doing their job? It's Friday, the 20th of October, 2023. It's the morning call from NAB. Good morning. Well, nothing can stop that bond sell-off, it seems. Ten-year Treasury yield shot up in late in the session, up seven basis points and just uh, two points off 5% now. But it did get very close, very, very close early on to 5%. Canadian yields are up seven basis points, but it's not the same story in Europe where yields are down in many countries and only up one for German bonds, ten-year bonds, two for ten-year gilt yields. Uh, the US dollar is down a third of 1% this morning, but the Aussie is also also down. It's down about 0.1% to just above 63.3 US cents. But the euro is the winner of sorts. It's up half a percent this morning. US stocks are down 0.9% off the Nasdaq, 0.6% down for the Dow, and the S&P is down 0.8%. In Europe, a 0.4% drop in the Euro stocks 50, almost as much for the DAX, a 1.2% drop in the FTSE 100. They didn't have a full day's trade in London. They had an outage for two hours that hit the FTSE 100 and the mid-cap stocks because of a technical software issue. Must have been trying that upgrade to Windows 7, do you reckon? And oil still rising a lot, most of it in uh, the late in the trade. So WTI is up 2.5%, Brent is up 2% to well over 93 a barrel now. But what about those bond yields? A good day to be talking with NAB's Ken Compton, because that is very much his thing. He joins us from Sydney. Uh, it feels like there's no stopping it, doesn't it, really? Close to 5%. But if the money isn't going into bonds and it's not going into equities. I mean, I asked this question yesterday to Ray. He said it's going to oil uh, and it looks like that is still the case. But OK, it looks like some of it is going to, at least some, is going to European bonds as well, isn't it? We're getting this big uh, diversification happening. Yeah, I think um, you did touch upon in the beginning there, Phil, a bit, a bit of a divergence in, in yields, or at least in absolute direction. Everything is, is up a little bit long end overnight, except in uh, core Europe, but certainly much greater underperformance in the US. And you know, if we look at where relative economic performance has been tracking over the course of Q3, even just looking at the business surveys, of course, we're seeing... Um, European services, PMIs in particular, you know, sort of languishing, you know, not deteriorating terribly, but certainly still languishing along at low levels. Whereas, of course, in the US, we've seen this much talked about, um, you know, late cycle expansion, probably, um, not, probably certainly boosted by a lot of fiscal fuel being thrown on the fire late in the piece. And um, yeah, now we've, you know, we've heard uh, Fed Chair Powell talking overnight as to the extent that um, he at least um, may or may not react to that in the short term. And that's, you know, continuing to put upward pressure on bond yields you know, sort of led by the US. I see as we're, as we're talking, you know, US 10 years are flirting with 4.99. So we may see that uh, mm. that magic uh, 5% handle before long. Yeah. Okay. Well, it was just a question of time, wasn't it? So uh, he was sort of saying on hold for the next meeting, 
but there is resilience, so they may hike later. I think that that's clearly what the takeout's been, how everyone's read it. Yeah, it's been a bit, been very choppy in markets as the speech has been um, has been made in this Q and A. Progressed choppy in, in, in bond markets certainly. Um, I think the broad assessment of the prepared remarks was that maybe they are on the slightly more dovish side than expected. Certainly, the um, you know the, the the beginning of the of the speech didn't sort of lay down a, a call to arms for more for more hikes and um, you know talked of progress towards their goals but then you know, through the Q&A there were some hints more towards the line of talking that we've seen from you know a bunch of his colleagues over the past couple of weeks about how you know, tightening so far is doing some of the work for them. Um, I mean where the market sort of landed in its take on that has actually been a, a fairly sharp steepening in the in the US yield curve so the twos tens um, US Treasury curve slope is up above minus 20. You know, so you might recall that was, um, you know, sort of pushing you know, minus 120 at, at points, you know, sort of six or so months ago in the immediate aftermath of the SVB collapse. So that steeper, that steeper curve is interesting. Um, in terms of what it's done to pricing for the Fed, as you've said, the market's not giving much credence to any pot- potential move in November. Pricing for December has increased a little bit. But we've also seen the market return to its old ways of, well, you know, if we're going to add in a couple of points of rate hikes in the first half of next year, well, we'll take them out of the back end. So you've actually seen pricing of hikes, sorry, pricing of cuts for the back end next year increase and two-year Treasury yields are now down five points on the day. So that, that's where the steeper curve is coming from. So, and we've seen, I mean, that resilience word, we've seen it in jobs, haven't we, in that the initial claims, the weekly jobless claims, they fell last week to 198,000 which is the lowest since February when interest rates were a whole percentage point lower, uh, and some resilience as well in the Philly Fed Manufacturing Index as well. That headline number's gone from minus 13.5 to minus 9, which is actually worse than anticipated, but the employment number has gone from minus 5.7 to 4. So it seems like there's a bit of commonality going on here in the jobs story. Uh, you know, So it's still a very tight employment market, it seems. Yeah, and certainly the extent you can find some leading indicators of market jobless claims, obviously, some of the regional Fed surveys, um, even if you look at um, yes, some of the surveys like the ICM and that sort of thing, there's just not that sort of terrible weakness around the corner in jobs for the most part. You know, we saw a, a big bunch of layoffs about beginning about 12 months ago, you know, concentrated in tech and finance, and that really seems to have been where it stayed at this point. I think that's the that's sort of the the outcome that's confounding policymakers globally. And, you know, we've seen, um, you know, a, a relative, I mean, yeah, exactly. An, an interesting data point for the labour market here yesterday. I think um, I think uh, Tapas has officially described that as a dog's breakfast of a, of a labour force print, which is something that I would... Um... <laughs> well, it was interesting, wasn't it? Because actually less people in jobs than expected, but the unemployment rate has fallen because we've seen... Uh, that change in you know the actual number of people looking for work. Yeah, so it would, would seem that um, the the people who um, the the fewer people who got jobs in over the course of the the, the month, you know, decided to uh, decided to not to not look. Seems to be the the summary there. But I think you know the the bottom line that um, that we're focusing on really is you know, the unemployment rate. Sure, you, you can argue that okay, maybe it would have been higher had the participation rate not changed. But you know, this as well as being a, a dog's breakfast of a print, you know, this, this is also called the labour force lottery for a reason. I think it was a classic outcome there as well. Just data pulling in different directions. And I think just look at the longer run trend. You know, you're still not seeing. Um, massive, in, you're still not seeing rapid rises in, in the unemployment rate in particular at, at the bottom line. Um, you know, that participation rate is still much higher than it was pre-pandemic, still sort of sitting up around 67%. So, 
Yeah. Are we tracking towards the pace of unemployment rate um, increase that the RBA would probably see as bordering on um, sort of a recessionary trend? No, we're not yet. And in fact, you know, that 3.6 number, okay, look, maybe it does bounce up to 3.7 or something next month as a bit of a, with a bit of the return to trend as the labour force is, is wanting to do. But yeah, the RBA's forecasts have unemployment averaging 3.9% across the um, across the December quarter, and f- from a starting point of three point six, that's that's looking you know a, a, a tough ask. So that I mean, it's interesting. You mentioned the fact that the participation rate is up on where it was before the pandemic. That's the same in New Zealand as well, but that is not the case everywhere, is it? And just about everywhere, the unemployment rate now is much lower than it was before the pandemic as well. So I'm not quite sure what you make out of all of that. Although you could say. You know, if we've stretched as far as we can go in the participation rate, there's less room to move in Australia and New Zealand on that basis. I think that's fair, yeah. And certainly, like the US would be a classic example of somewhere where the participation rate has not um, has not bounced back uh, post post pandemic. Yeah, and yeah, the, the tr- it's not as if um, you know that's starting to accelerate or anything either. That that trend over there. So you know, it, it's another thing that's sort of a, a confounding point for uh, you know for for policymakers. And policymakers, are they really too concerned about the housing market? Because the US, existing home sales down 2% month on month in September. So obviously, you know, interest rates have reached a point now where everyone is just hanging on to their home. I mean, I don't know if you've ever seen the show Love It or List It. Uh, I mean, that you know, now it's just love it or live with it, isn't it, really? Because, uh, you know, no one wants to sell their house. And I guess... But, and that is keeping values up, of course, as well. It's just a bad time to be a real estate agent because there's just not the stock because everyone's hanging on to it. So is the Fed and every other, you know, because it's a similar story everywhere else around the world, the central bank's just ignoring what's happening in the property market. Their eye is really on what's happening with inflation and jobs, and that's just collateral damage. Well, I mean, look, we know locally certainly that um, yeah, that, that the RBA isn't ignoring it. It was actually came up as a bit of a topic in the um, in Governor Bullock's fireside chat, um, you know, a, a couple of days ago, where she sort of spoke to the you know, the RBA's surprise at the resilience of house prices in Australia, and I mean, certainly, you know, that resilience of pricing is off very low volumes as as we've been talking about for, for all the reasons you've said you know you're not going to be in a hurry to, to to move to move houses and either lock in your um you know your sort of modest price price falls from relative to the peak of the pandemic or you're not going to want to sort of break a, a fixed rate mortgage if you happen to still be on one in australia so it's certainly on the rba is cognizant about and the difference here too is that um yeah, we, I think you can probably link it back to the relatively high migration pace Australia is tracked back to post the pandemic that um, yeah, rents, rent prices here in a housing market pressures in general are still quite acute. So you know, you're not necessarily seeing that level of rent pressure, for example, in the US. So if you sort of look at a Aus versus US policy response, there are, there are differences. So what about, let's look at equities just very quickly as well, uh, because despite, you know, we saw strong earnings for Netflix, uh, they want to put their prices up. Not sure that's going to work for them, by the way. Uh, not so good for Tesla. Uh, American Airlines had a good quarter, uh, but lower expectations for the future. I do wonder if the airline industry has sort of had a post-COVID surge and now we're all spent up. That's certainly, you know, based on a sample of one, that's where I am. But in any case, equity markets are falling, presumably because interest rate fears, and also, obviously, geopolitics is is part of it. So, 
where are we with equities? Do you think this is that the, they are going to be choppy for a while now until we figure out what happens in the Middle East? I think it's a reasonable reasonable hypothesis. I mean, certainly, um, yeah, I think Ray's answer yesterday to what was causing bonds to move was oil. I think you can loop that into the broader equities environment as well. Um, so, yeah, and even you know overnight, you know, oil up another one one and a half percent, something like that. So yeah, there is a bit of a um, yeah, you are continuing to sort of see, you know, the physical market there tighten. I mean, I think we talked some, t- talked yesterday, the day before, about um, you sort of how physical inventory in the US um, is that it's is it sort of near low, near its lowest operational levels in in quite a long time. Yeah, we did see some headlines yesterday with the US apparently looking to allow some more Venezuelan crude into the market. So you may be adding an extra 250,000 barrels a day from them. Okay, 25% increase in Venezuelan output, but that probably barely touches the sides of, of what you, of what the US, um, you know, like perhaps say the US hopes to see uh, hopes to see Iran out of the oil market. But certainly, if Iran, if it, and if that happens, yeah, as well, if that, probably that is conditional. Hope. That is conditional <laughs> on the president in Venezuela saying he's going to, uh, you know, lift his ban on opposition candidates, release political prisoners. I mean, all of that's got to happen. Which uh, you know, so there's an outside chance. So it's we can't take that as yeah. Red, and even then, sure. it, yeah, it would, would it touch the sides of, um, of of what you may expect in mm. terms of supply disruption in the Middle East? Probably not. So. Um, yeah, yeah. Not, not much relief, and there. it's certainly not going to be enough to compensate for the fact that you know if if we get a regional war happening, and it does sound like you know this morning, I mean the news is pretty much, I mean Israel is going to launch the grand offensive. I think there were hopes that perhaps a bit of diplomacy would stop that happening, but I don't think that is the case. Uh, they are allowing in twenty trucks, but that's not even going to touch the sides, is it? In terms of providing the humanitarian aid that is needed, so um, yeah, this this could just conflate, couldn't it? And uh, it could conflate fairly quickly. So uh, hence, I guess we are going to see a lot of uncertainty in the markets because we really don't know what the outcome is. No one knows what the end piece is to this. No, no, there's certainly a lot of, a lot of uncertainties there. So yeah, maybe best to maybe best look to the to the, to the short term and look and look at the day ahead. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Let's do that then uh, because that's easier to control. Uh, so. Well, um, Japan's core inflation, that's expected to come down. Uh, We'll talk about that very quickly. Credit card spending for New Zealand. We also get their trade balance. UK uh, retail sales and their public sector borrowing and Canada's retail sales as well. So retail sales always, you know, can surprise, can't they? Again, you know, can be another example of the resilience that's around. Yeah, certainly we saw that out of the US earlier in the week. Um, although, you know, consensus for both the UK and Canada tonight, I see, is is for is for decline. So, uh, you know, minus 0.4 month on month in the UK. So, once again, you know, no strong personal view on, on where that number might land, but it will be interesting to see, just as another data point of, you know, is this late cycle resilience, you know, spreading beyond the US? At the moment, it still seems not. So that uh, that divergence between European and US yields that we started talking talking about the beginning of the podcast, so, I mean, potentially you've got um, this this data may well, you know, may, may well reinforce that. Um, you know, Japan CPI will be interesting. That's expected to, to drop, but we're still talking about, you know, sort of their core core measures still printing with a, with a four handle. So 4.1, um, you know, the bodge steadfastly continues to say there's nothing to see here on that front. Um, although, um, yeah, what we've seen the market do in the past few days, we've seen 10-year JGBs, uh, yeah, like every other bond market in the world, have tested multi, um, yes, tested decade-long highs. Um, yeah, pressure's certainly probably going to continue there. We've seen a few um, sort of a few attempts at bodge bond buying, but uh, nothing that sort of really moved the dial. And to be honest, I'm, I'm not sure they really want who they really want JGBs to sort of find a, a reasonable level. Interestingly, you are starting to see the market begin to toy with the possibility of the bodge, you know, may tighten at some point. So 
that's having some interesting sort of technical flow ons for the Aussie bond market. But um, <laughs> we said that before. Anyway, we'll see. We? Uh, <laughs> we yeah. have. All right. Very good. Okay. Uh, we'll catch you again very soon. Have a great weekend. Thanks for coming on today. Thanks, all. Bye. And here's a question to finish with. How many problems would go away if central banks didn't keep talking about higher for longer? What if they actually said, let's start talking it down? No, you're, you're quite right. I think uh, the the mood in the markets needs to change to one of uh, interest rates needing to come down or going to come down as well, and with inflation coming under control. So the central banks need to give a sign that says that rather than interest rates are going to stay high for longer. Not necessarily NAB's view, but it is Vicky Price's view, a European economist who tells us how things are tracking in that part of the world and how she sees things happening next. Hear what she's got to say on the weekend edition that is out later today, mid-afternoon. Join me for that in the same place where you got this podcast. So listen at your leisure over the weekend. But be back here bright and early Monday morning as we kickstart another week on The Morning Call. I'm Phil Dobby for NAB. Thanks for listening this week. Catch you soon.